Man, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Revelation. In 12 years of pastoring here, I have never uttered those words. Some of you have been asking for the book of Revelation for 12 years from me. Now, I have said, I've quoted Revelation. I have, I have uh, used scripture from Revelation. I have never in 12 years started an entire message out of the book of Revelation. And I'm going to actually do seven of them, not today, to the glory of God and to, uh, as well as to your patience. So, um, But we're going to do a series this um, for these next two months um, that is going to really talk about vision. I want to pour out some vision. I also want to deal with uh, uh, what could be some sensitive topics and subjects. Um, in a few weeks, I'm going to talk, um, I'm going to to, I'll preach about the subject of deconstruction. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. Uh, some of you like demolition, and you're like, oh, that sounds great. Um, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But we are in a, a new series that we're simply calling Dear Church. And I'm not writing a letter to the church. Um, this is uh, letters that we'll talk about in just a few minutes that are letters from Jesus to the church. If you are brand new with us, I just want to say thank you for joining with us. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor of K-First. And uh, I would love to get to know you a little bit and answer any questions that you might have. Um, and I just want to say thanks for just taking time to join us and being a part of what we are doing. Um, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the day, the time, the opportunity. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you have just blessed us immensely over the past few years of, of a very trying time um, for not just our nation, but for our world. But Lord, we prophetically proclaim that the best has yet to come. We pro prophetically proclaim that the... The, the latter days will be greater than the former days, God. We believe that you're going to do more than we've asked or imagined, not because of who we are, but because of your power that is at work within us. We speak that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been through a lot in a couple years, haven't we? I heard someone go, ooh. <laughs> Absolutely. We've been through a lot. We have been through invisible plagues, and we've been through visible plagues. Plagues. And I mean, the, the invisible uh, forced us into a time of quarantine, um, forced us into a different mode of life that has transformed um, the way we do education, uh, the way that we do um, shopping, uh, lots of things that are out there. Um, I remember uh, my sister, I remember she contacted me. She says, oh, our daughter, Olivia, she says, she's been going to school every day for the past two weeks online, and we've been very proud of her. She's been very patient, very quiet, and come to find out that she, you know, said hi to her teacher and then clicked off and played Minecraft the rest of the time. And uh, part of the invisible plagues that we're dealing with, and we've all had to deal with, with all of that. Uh, and then we've had visible plagues. Things like elections. Things like social media and the lack of self-control and things that we can visibly see, the people that we're dealing with, parties and things and all of that stuff. All of us have endured that and it has, it has had its toll on the world, on our nation, on our state, and we know it's had its toll on the church. The church globally, the, the newest stat is it used to be 40% of what a church was prior to COVID is where the national church is at here in America. That number has now dipped down to 35%. That 35% of people that were going to their church are back in person. 
And so it's not the easiest to track online, and we will never get rid of online. We've, we did online before the pandemic. We will keep doing online after. Um, I think online needs to always be available. Um, but it, it tells me that the majority of Americans are either ready or they've gotten used to not coming. Um, they, they would rather come and uh, be in their pajamas. And I'm just going to say, if you're watching online, you want to show up in your pajamas, as long as you've got bottoms and tops on, I'm fine with that. That's all good. But we've all endured this, and it's been a struggle. It's been a challenge for us pastors, to say the least, I'm not trying to whine or anything, but I'm just going to tell you, when I went to Bible college, I graduated with my BA in Bible, um, my minor in history. Um, I'm, I think I'm well-educated, but I'm telling you what, in four years of Bible college, not once did we deal with pandemics. Shocking, I know. Not once did, not once did we deal with social media. They can give you the list of things that we were never prepared to lead. And so as I was praying through majority of 2021, just looking forward to 2022, I was honestly saying, Spirit of God, I need a direction. I need a word. And if you just need a word from the Lord, just one word to kind of carry you through, one word that just is going to be that word you're, you're going to cling to for a season. I think every year I try to find that word. And sometimes I, I come out with a phrase, sometimes I'm in prayer, I come out with a sentence, sometimes it's a few words. But over the past six months or so, as I've been praying, I've been just having conversations with other pastors, trusted confidants in my life, and there's about three or four occasions for which somebody looked across the table or was talking to me on the phone and said, Dave, I don't know why I need to give you this word, but I believe God has given me a word for you, and the same word has been given to me over and over and over again, and the word is resilient. That the Spirit of God, I believe, wants to give us a resilience, but also to make us resilient. Uh, the res word resilience simply means this, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. I don't know if there's a better word that God could have given me for K-First for 2022 than the word resilience. I believe that God wants us to do more than to barely make it out of this time. Out of both the invisible and the visible pandemics and things that we have gone through, I believe God wants us to do more than just barely get across the finish line. I don't want to be that type of church. I want us to be a resilient church. I want it to be said that we had, not by our own power, not by our own might, but by the presence and the spirit of God that we made it through and we are seeing God do more than we've ever prayed could ever happen. I believe God wants us to do more than just simply recover. I believe God wants us to do more than just get us back to where we were. I believe God wants to do more than just restore things that we have lost. I believe God wants to be a resilient spirit within us to help us to be a resilient church in this area. That's my heart for 2022. And as I began to pray about it, God led me to Revelation 2 and 3. And I remember the, the Lord specifically laying on my heart saying, listen, I want to give you direction and you're going to preach out of Revelation. And I promise you, I promise you with all my heart, no fingers crossed, I told God, please send me to a different book of the Bible. Because I'm telling you what, Revelation is a very sexy book to preach out of. You announce you're preaching out of Revelation, people will come out of the woodwork. Oh, he's going to talk about the lamb and the, the horns, and he's going to talk about the beast that comes out. He's going to talk about the whore of Babylon. And he said whore on a Sunday morning. Uh, he's going to talk about all these things, and I'm just going to disappoint you up front and say I'm not going to talk about any of those things. I'm not going to talk about end times necessarily. But I want to talk to you about the revelation that God gave John to write out 
in the words of Jesus to seven key churches of that area. Why did Jesus speak specifically to these seven key churches? And why are we going to read them over the course of seven Sundays? Why are we going to be challenged? Because God was wanting these churches to be resilient through very tough times. The book of Revelation, there's a lot we could talk about with Revelation, but a lot of the, the revelation of Revelation was that the church itself was going through a trying time then, and it wasn't going to let up. Let me tell you this, the church, we are in the last days. We are a part of the last days, and since Jesus ascended into heaven, I believe we have been living on borrowed time, knowing that Jesus will come back again, and I believe he's coming back soon, and therefore we need to be resilient, but Jesus is challenging the church, and now through that, us that we have to be people of resilience so if you're taking notes you need a title for today that we'll read out of revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 the title today is simply this something's missing something's missing have you ever had something missing or worse ever lost your child in walmart besides me anybody anybody um, the first time I lost Ethan, I just turned the corner, and all of a sudden, he, it was like a, it's like a car alarm. Mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. He just starts going off. I can hear his voice, and I'm running around. I'm like, dude, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Somebody's missing. We got to find you. And I was thinking about this idea of missing, and I, I came across a great story that came out of the country of Turkey. Uh, it was somewhere, I think, around the spring of last year. And what had happened is there was a man by the name of Bayhan Matul, and he went out drinking with his friends. And he got absolutely drunk out of his mind. And uh, he was walking with his friends. Now, granted, he lived in this village that was surrounded by forest. And it's just called the Forest City. And him and his friends were hanging out. And he decided to go for a walk in the forest. Why his friends allowed him to walk through the forest drunk, we have no idea. They were probably drunk as well. And so in the morning, his wife wakes up and he's missing. Where is Bahen? And so she contacts the local authorities, and because they're a small village, they begin to send out word to all the surrounding families, all the houses, people are calling each other. We're going to go into the forest, and we're going to form a lifeline, which is where you're standing. Basically, every 10 to 20 feet is so indifferent, and you walk through the forest trying to find the missing person. And so they're gathering in the forest, and they're giving the strategy. And while they're giving the strategy, Bihan wakes up. He has fallen asleep in the forest little bit of a hangover, and he hears commotion. And so he walks over to the group, and they're like, listen, we've got a man missing in the forest. And we need to find him. And he goes, well, yeah, we've got to find him. And so they start forming the lifeline, and he is in the lifeline. And they're walking through the forest saying, is anybody there? Is anybody there? And so he is shouting, where are you? Is anybody here? Do you need help? And he's walking, and all of a sudden, he hears his name. It doesn't hear it once. All of a sudden, people start yelling out, buy him, buy him. And he's like, what, what? And people are like, stop. We're calling out to buy him. He's missing. He's like, is there another buy in this village? And all of a sudden, when all the confusion began to kind of let up, they began to realize the guy they were looking for was helping them look for the guy who they were looking for. This is why you don't drink. This is why you don't get drunk and then walk into the forest. Goodness gracious, something's missing. When we talk about things that are missing, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about and get into. But when I think about what is missing in terms of the church itself, Jesus identifies it in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Jesus is talking to a church in a city called Ephesus. And he says, listen, 
There's something missing from the church, your church, that has to be fixed. It says this, I write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but not you, but are not. You have discovered they are liars and that you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. Can I just stop right there? That's a little intense when Jesus looks at you and says, I've got something to complain about you. That's intense. He says this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first, and if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do, and anyone with ears must hear and listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life and paradise of God. Right here, Jesus confronts this church in Ephesus. And he has a lot to say that they're doing well. How many of you like that if somebody walks up to you and they have a criticism, they at least give you some sort of compliment? Apparently it happens to nobody in the room. Listen, marriages, if you're gonna give a criticism, this is my rule, give three compliments before you give one criticism. There's my there's a little marriage rule there, marriage Sundays. It says in verse two, he says, listen, I know all the work, all the things you do. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your endurance. You don't tolerate evil. You've examined people who have poor doctrine is what he's saying. You've examined those that are claiming to be apostles that are preaching something other than Jesus and you don't tolerate it. You have been suffering for the gospel. He says, these are all wonderful things and how many of you know those are wonderful things? It's wonderful to endure. It's wonderful to recognize bad doctrine. It's wonderful to see that there are wolves in sheep's clothing trying to take away from the church and take away from the gospel. It's wonderful to recognize that something is not preaching the full gospel and therefore we, we can just reject it. That's wonderful, but then he says this, I have a complaint and you have fallen out of love with me, Jesus is saying, and you have fallen out of love with each other. Jesus' primary concern for, for this church here in, the, in Ephesus, that they have simply, they have lost their desire for the presence of Jesus. They've lost their desire for Jesus altogether. And they've lost their love for one another. Now, if you read that church, that church's name in Ephesus, that's an important thing. Because speaking of Turkey, and we brought up the country of Turkey, Ephesus is known as one of the largest cities of the, what was called Asia Minor, which is actually Turkey. And this church itself was one of the biggest, if not the biggest church of the known world of this time. Ephesus is so important that we've got revelation, we've got an address to Ephesus, we've got the book of, how many know the, the letter to the Ephesians, that's to Ephesus, um, First and Second Timothy, those were uh, written by Paul to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Uh, we know that the book of John, the book of First, Second, and Third John, all four of those are known to be written from Ephesus. First Corinthians was thought to be written from Ephesus. Ephesus is a major city in the church world, a very important city in the church world. But there is something about that church where something triggered or something happened for which they were busy doing the work of being the ch of, of trying to do church and 
and they forgot to love people, and more importantly, they fell out of love with Jesus. They were actively doing stuff that churches do, but they had no love within them. They had no love that was flowing out of them. You would walk into that church, nobody would greet them, no one would say hi to them, no one would smile and smile at them. They would walk in and you would immediately maybe sense a coldness that's there because it was absent of love. There's a great theologian that just passed away a few years ago. His name is Warren Wearsby. He says this, the church that loses its love will soon lose its light no matter how doctrinally sound it may be. What does this tell me? You can have all the best doctrine in the world, but if you lose your love, you lose it all. Paul tried to give the idea behind this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he said, listen, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can do all of these things, but if you don't have love, you're nothing more than an annoying symbol. Wearsby was saying, when you lose your love, you lose the lamp. You lose that lamp. Now, what's funny is, um, I say it's funny just because of, of autocorrect. I don't know if your phone's autocorrect when you do voice to text, but I get ideas for sermons in the car. So whenever I was trying to say the word Nicolaitans that was brought up, it kept coming up as Nickelodeon. And so now that's what I read every time I read this portion. But when Jesus brings up the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans were a group of people in the area. Their name in the Greek literally means to dominate. They were all about dominating other people. And he's saying, you don't like the Nicolaitans. You don't like that spirit that they're dominating others. But, but Jesus is almost trying to knock on the, their heart's door saying, listen, you don't like what they're doing, but you're doing it yourself. You've got, it seems like you got the proper doctrine. You seem like you got the proper ministries. You got kids ministry, you got youth ministry, you got all these ministries going on, but you can have all of the right things going on and you can still miss the proper thing that you should be doing. Jesus, what I love is he confronts churches. And I don't know what type of Jesus that you like. Some of us, we, we just like the blonde haired blue-eyed, white Jesus that we see on paintings that we've seen for years. And it's obviously an incorrect portrait of who Jesus is and what he looks like. But some of us really like the Jesus that kids can run up to, and I love that Jesus. We like the Jesus that will talk to anybody, that will lean into anybody's issue and speak to them and help them and heal them. I love that Jesus too. But let me tell you, there's a side of Jesus that we don't talk enough about, but it's the Jesus that confronts us. It's a Jesus that can point out things that are wrong in our life. And you may say, well, I don't like that Jesus so much, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus does it because he loves us too much to leave us in the way that we are. Jesus confronts us because he loves us too much to leave us toxic to ourselves and toxic to others. We need that type of Jesus in our churches. We need that Jesus in our lives. That Jesus that we have got such a love relationship with. That Jesus, that type of Jesus that can look into our life and begin to say, this is off. This needs to be changed. This needs to be tweaked or else you're going to lose what's best. And that's what Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is, is. The Ephesians, they were working of doing ministry without love for Christ and one another. One of the most bold individuals that I've ever read about in my life is the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul because the man seems absolutely fearless when it comes to the gospel. And yet in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about something that he's afraid of. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
Paul's concern for the church in Corinth at that time is the same concern that Jesus is writing about. He's like, listen. He says, pay attention. Doing the right things is great. That's good. But what's best is I need you to love me. I need you to love each other. Because Jesus is trying to draw us into what is best. Because we can do the good things, and that's okay. But when we get to the best thing, it's what ignites and empowers all of the good things to be the best. God forbid that we do ministry within this church, but people walk away and don't feel loved. God forbid that we would have the best talent on the stage that can sing the best songs and have the best harmonies and have the best beat and have the best everything, but be absent of exuberating the love of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't have love for Jesus and love for other people, there's no reason for us to meet whatsoever. We've got to be a people about the love of Christ. You see, loving Jesus, it's not a matter of doing, but delighting in who he is. Loving Jesus is a simple response to the grace and the glory and the power of God. In fact, this is what Jesus complained about when he was here upon this earth, is when he began to deal with the religious. Now, what I love is, when I look at Jesus, whenever Jesus challenged people, most of the time it was the churchgoers, the religious and he challenged them in Matthew chapter 22. He's like, listen, the whole law, the best law, is about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength, and secondly, to love one another as you love yourself. What Jesus is dealing with the church in Ephesus is nothing new. He's trying to remind them, don't lose out on what is best. And so if we are going to be a resilient church, K-First, if, if we have any chance of making it through, we have to have a deep desire. This year, I'm determined that with everything within my power, that we are going to foster, develop, and lead people toward a deep desire for the presence of Jesus Christ. We are going to go after Jesus like we've never done before. That's why we're doing a week of prayer at the end of this month. We're going to give you some details in the coming weeks. And at the end, on the 30th, we're going to gather at this altar front here, and we're going to worship our butts off. We are going to seek the face of God because I believe God wants us to be a resilient church. And not just being resilient because we love God that much. I want God to pour so much love in us that we cannot help, but everywhere we go, be the tangible presence of the love of Jesus to the people around us. Now, let me say for the millionth time that I'll probably say a million more times. When we talk about loving people, whether we're talking about in the body here or outside the body, loving people doesn't mean you approve of every decision they make it doesn't mean you approve of their lifestyle. It doesn't mean you, you approve of their sports teams. It doesn't mean you approve of their politics. Loving people doesn't mean you agree with the same things they're going to agree with. Loving people doesn't mean you're going to vote the same way. Loving people doesn't mean you're going to have the same passions. Loving people does not mean that you, are, you have to ignore your own hurt. Well, I have to love them and ignore my own hurt. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that loving people means you have to trust them. Because I'm going to tell you, I've got people that attend here that don't trust the pastor. Why? Because they were hurt by a pastor before. I'm not asking you just to get over those things. What I am asking you to do is begin to love Jesus, begin to let that love pour out of your life. Because as you let that love come in, this, this is where healing is going to begin to take place. And then when we begin to love this way, that's when healing begins to flow. And we need a fresh baptism of love. Why? Because love is the language of the Gospels. Some people think judgment is the language of the Gospels. Love is the language of the Gospels. And sometimes love has to say tough things. 
Sometimes love means we have to shut up and be better listeners. Sometimes love means walking up to somebody that you know you're hurt and laying down your pride saying, listen, I have hurt you and I apologize. Love is the language of the gospel. That's the language we gotta, that we have to have. I, I have no idea still to this day why I took German for three years because can I tell you the amount of times that I've actually used my German? I could count on my hand and they were all in museums uh, for which it was for World War II stuff. That is it. So other than being a good tour guide for you, I have no use for my German. You know what I wish I would have t taken? Spanish. Why? Every country I've ever preached in, other than England and Africa, all the other countries, do you know what language they speak? Spanish. German has done nothing for me. And so, if you, so, my thing is, I've only known two words in Spanish that I've stuck to all these years because they're the two most important words to know whenever you're, you're doing any type of ministry um, in Central or South America. What are the two words? There is Iglesia, which is church. So if I get lost, which I've gotten lost, I'm like, Iglesia, and they point me the right way. And the other is Baño, because when you travel around and you eat cuisine, baño is another good word, that's bathroom. So, other than those two words, that's all I've got for my Spanish language, but I'm here to tell you this, that some of us, we've got a lot of words for the Christian language, we've got a lot of words for our missional language, but there's one thing that cannot be absent from our words, and it is the presence and the spirit of the love of Jesus coming in and flowing out, in and flowing out. That's the language that ought to be coming from us. I don't wanna be known as the judgmental church. I don't wanna be known as the, the church that hates. I don't wanna be known as the church that's cold. I don't want to be the Revelation 2, 1 through 7 Ephesus church that has a lot of good programs but absent of love. I want the language of our lives to be the love of Jesus Christ. Because Revelation 2 is proof that you can do the activities of the church without actually being the church. There are too many churches out there that have got a lot of activity that aren't being, I want to be the church that, be, that we, we are the church. You hear me say this every January, that when we go out those doors, that's really when church begins. We come here to celebrate on Sundays. We come here to gather and to fellowship and to connect and hear and grow and listen together. But church really takes place at 11.15 when you're walking out those doors because what those people need to see, what they need to hear about, is not necessarily the great programs of our church. They need to see the great love that has been poured into us and pouring out of our lives. Of all the things that we've gone through and that we've dealt with over the past number of years, social media, I'll just tell you, I never thought in my life that I would be able to connect to people like I can in social media. It has connected us more than any other time in history. Let's just be real. It's, it's divided us, really seems like more than any other thing in history. We get into discussion platforms. And I don't know about you if you've ever discussed something on, on social media where it went from a discussion platform to a boxing match. Has that ever happened to you? I know it only happens to me. But the idea that we get into a place where it becomes less about opinions, and this is how I've really chosen to look at a lot of social media. When I see people spouting opinions, I really don't see people giving opinions. I see them giving symptoms of what there's really going on inside their own heart and their own life. It's helped me with my compassion. But the problem is, is that it's seeped into our church. And sometimes the reasons why people have had a hard time feeling the love of Jesus, it's not always what they see in public, but it's what they see in our platforms. 
And I love this quote by Dr. Esau McCauley. If you ever need a great book to read, it was one of my favorite reads from 2020, sorry, 2021. It's a book called Reading While Black. It is a tremendous, phenomenal book about the bias that we all have when we read scripture. It's powerful. And this is what he says. The darkest parts of Christian social media are the places where people have convinced themselves that their sincerely held beliefs release them from responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit. Virtue is biblical. When we click on social media, our identity as Christ followers should go with us. We need to be the people, not of Ephesus, but to be the people of Jesus. The people that flow in the love of the presence of God. I'll say it this way. If you have to sacrifice the fruit of the Spirit for the work of the Spirit, you're not operating in the Spirit. Let me say that again. If you have to sacrifice the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's Galatians right there. If you have to sacrifice the fruit of the Spirit for the work of the Spirit, you're not operating in the Spirit. Because Jesus would never have you sacrifice the fruit for the sake of something else being done. We, if we're going to love God, we're going to love others. And when we talk about loving others, let's be real. Can I just really be real this morning? Not that I'm never not real with you. I'm a pretty blunt guy. Can I just say that it's harder for me sometimes, maybe I'm the only one in the room, somebody help me out here, sometimes it's harder to love Christians than it is to love non-Christians. This side agrees with me. This side, you don't want to admit it. But sometimes it's hard to love our Christian neighbor instead of loving our how about we say it this way? Our pre-Christian neighbor. Why do I say pre-Christian? Because if we can, I can look at people as candidates for the love of, and the power of Jesus Christ, but sometimes it's harder to love my Christian neighbor than to love my non-Christian neighbor. It's a challenge. But Jesus is saying, listen, this is what defines you, John 13, 35. This is what defines you. They will know that you are my, my disciples by your Facebook post. They will know you're my disciples by your your political party and the signs you put on your, on your lawn. They will know you're my disciples by the clothes that you wear or the, by the tip that you give. And please, please be a tipper. Don't be that person. But Jesus is like, the love is what defines you. The love is what you're supposed to be known about. And when it comes to us, we are image bearers of the Most High God. You and I were made in the image of God. I want you to hear about that today. I want you to understand that today. You may be here and you're like, well, I don't have faith in Jesus. I'm not a Christian. That doesn't disqualify the fact that every single one of you have been beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of Jesus Christ. Every one of you. And as image bearers, you have a responsibility to walk as the image bearer to love Jesus, and to, yes, love each other. And at K-First, in terms of vision for this year and beyond, that's what we are going to be about. We're gonna, we're gonna learn how to get along. We're gonna learn how to be in community with love, with, with, in love with one another. It has been, I think, five years now I was looking at my, I got all the sermon series I've ever preached um, up on my wall. And so every once in a while I look up and I'll just kind of start counting through different series. And, and I have preached four series on the table practice of Jesus. 
four series. That's no less than 16 sermons. And for those of you that have not been with us for uh, any length of time, when I talk about the table practice of Jesus, I'm talking about when you really want to look at the power of Jesus' ministry, you'll see that a lot of the most powerful, impactful moments were not when he was in a pulpit, but when he was sitting at a table with somebody. And then look at the way he treated people when he sat with them. Look at the way he talked to people. Because you can see people like Zacchaeus who was despised by his city that encountered salvation. In fact, it's one of the only times Jesus uses the word salvation is when Zacchaeus is at the table with him and Zacchaeus just experiences the love of Jesus Christ. It's at the table where a woman that was known as a sinner amongst her whole community comes to Jesus and she cries at his feet and anoints his feet and Jesus gives her absolute freedom. You can go table after table. Jesus transforms this world, not necessarily with pulpits. He does it with a table. Then go throughout the rest of the scripture. Every time a table is brought up, transformation happens. And so my vision for K-First is to help us to get back into community with one another. Community works. Table works. How do I know it works? Because for many of you, that's how I met you and got to know you. Because you invited me over and I ate your food and we drank coffee or we drank tea together or we played euchre and I just annihilated you at euchre because I'm amazing except for the last time when Vicky and Ann beat me and Mick at euchre and I don't want to talk about that any longer. But it's at the table where we laugh together. There are times that we've cried together. It's at the table where stories get shared. And you go from being acquaintances at church, all of a sudden you, you feel brother and sisterly connection. Because who gathers at the table but family? Community is what we need. It's where faith is filled. It's where we find encouragement. It's where we find friendship. It's where healing takes place. It's where we get, we get lifted up. Listen, it's at the table. The table, when I sit with people at tables, when I gather with people, it's where I, I see some of the most healing take place. When all of a sudden we're, we're talking and people who have been hurt by pastors, they've been hurt by church leaders, we sit across from one another and, and they begin to hear my story, how I was hurt by a pastor, how I was hurt by church leaders. And all of a sudden we begin to realize that we can either live in our hurt or we can let the love of God flow this way and begin to flow this way and all of a sudden something takes place where we find healing that's what happens in community with one another because whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or if you're in between an amnivert I'm here to tell you you need community and at K first we are in a drive and a mode to help provide community amongst all of us. Did you know this? It was about five or six years ago, I think it was like six years, that this worship center, the chairs used to go all the way back to the wall with the exception of a little walkway. And I remember taking down those chairs and, you know, we talked to the board, I talked with my intercessors, we took all those chairs down. That fall, our church increased almost 100 people in one fall. Do you know why we increased? It wasn't because of the haphazard preaching that you guys get on Sunday morning. It wasn't because of the fantastic music. It's because people got a chance to connect and develop community. We need people in our lives. And I need you guys to play something or else I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> we need community. We need people. As listened to a great podcast by pastors, there are five types of people that every single one of us need. Five types of, five types of people. We need truth tellers. There's people in our life that will just tell us the truth regardless of anything. I've got those people in my life. I hope you have truth tellers. We need teachers, people that speak into us, people that 
I'm, I'm mentored by a few pastors and a few people in my life. You need mentors or teachers. You need entrustees, people that you can share and entrust your heart and trust your feelings and trust your hurt into their hands. And you know it's not going to be ignored. You know it's not going to be blown over. You need Timothys, people that you can mentor, people that you can help disciple. What I love about the body of Christ is not everybody who is who is going to mentor you are going to be older than you. Sometimes they're younger than you. I love learning from people younger than me. I feel like I'm at the age now where there are more ministers that are younger than me than they're older than me. But I love that reverse mentoring. But you also need tank fillers. My wife, lo I, I love, like for example, we went over to the Story's house a few weeks back. You know what, when we got into the car, we get out of the car after just an evening of games and laughing, and we get in the car, we're like, our tank is full. That's what community is there to help fill the tank, to give encouragement and strength. And so that's why when we look at our groups at our church, we don't call them small groups, we don't call them groups, we call them tables. It's a place to gather. And what we're asking you to do is, for today, I don't, ask, I don't want you to sign up for a table per se. Now after the service, we've actually got a few tables that are going to be back by the word table in the back. We've got a few groups that are gonna be back there. If you're interested, we wanna to talk to them. But my challenge this morning is, will you pray about starting a table here at K-First? Starting a group. Starting a place to find community. Now, when it comes to a table, here's what we're going to expect. There's three things. Tables are simply this. They, are com they have a common denominator. That's the table. For some, there's, there's a group that gets together every uh, spring and summer. They're our golf league. And that's their table. That's the table they gather. That's their common denominator. So if you've got a common denominator that you want to meet about, would you consider being the one to start it? And on top of having a common denominator, what we're gonna challenge you to do is to find a core group. So if you've got an idea, I want you to begin to pray through, God, lead me toward two or three people that can come alongside of me and be the core group. And when you've got that core group, the challenge is this, what is going to be our consistent routine? How often are we going to meet? Because we've got some groups that are ready to meet, they are interest-based, and they're gonna meet once a month, and that's great, that's fine. And then we've got seasons where we're going to have people that are going to want to meet for six weeks at a time because they want to do book study, they want to do Bible study, they want to do all of those things. And to that we say, blessings, we want you to do that. Now what I love is we've got three groups that are already set. We've got a group of senior adults um, that are called LG3. LG3 is the name. Al and Judy lead it. They'll be in the back if you've got questions about it. We've got a group for ladies led by Jody Wing. Uh, I've never been to that one. I'm just going to tell you why because I'm not a lady. But some of you ladies need and want that type of connection. Jody's going to be in the back. Her son Justin has been a part of our Habitat for Humanity group. You know what they do? They have a common denominator, Habitat for Humanity. They're going to build homes. They've got, they need a core group to come alongside Justin. But they have a routine that once a month they're going to go and build homes that are affordable for people in our community. And some of you in your hearts, you're already sensing, man, that's something that I want to do. But pastor, you haven't listed off any of the groups that I want. Then maybe God is challenging you to consider starting a table. I've got somebody in our church that wants to, re, that wants to refurbish our community garden. 
I've got somebody that's got the common denominator. Know what she needs? The core group of people that like the garden. Did you know that prior to COVID, when the garden was flourishing, we were literally giving away over 10,000 pounds of food to the gospel mission because of a table. I'm not even exaggerating. Thousands of pounds of food. But she needs a core. My wife and I are stepping in because we refuse to ever expect you to do something that we are not doing. And so I am forming a, the common denominator is men's breakfast. Why? Because we're men and we like eating bacon. And so we're just going to do, a, that's the most responsive you've been at the whole message. So the last Saturday, I've got my consistent routine. The last Saturday, I'm going to meet over at Michelle's. We've got the room, and we're just going to eat breakfast. There's no agenda other than providing fellowship. But right now, I'm looking for core men, men that would just say, we're going to be your consistent core. And my prayer is, is after a while of us meeting, that all of a sudden tables will begin to form because men will start finding common denominators, and all of a sudden groups will begin to flow. Sorry, tables will flow out of that. My wife is helping some couples start up what's called a young couples group. Now, when we say young couples, we're saying 20s and 30s because we've got to cry for people that just want to have marriage connection at those ages. And so my wife is helping to get people launched. In fact, I think the launch date for it is on, on January the 23rd. We're going to host it at our house. So if you're interested, talk with my wife. We'll get you hooked up. We've got a young adult group that is ready to launch out. We have got people that, are, that want to do uh, groups for, for older marriages. We've got people that are all over the place. So we don't necessarily have the absence of desire. What we're looking for is for people to say, listen, I, I, want, to be, I want to be the type of person that doesn't just receive love. I want to help people experience love by helping them be in community. Because if we can learn to walk in community, it's from that that people will begin to experience the love that we so richly receive on Sundays and throughout the week. We need community. We need community. Resilient churches are churches that love well. Resilient churches, the churches that make it and the churches that will make an impact are the ones that will love Jesus well and they're going to love one another well. If you want to sign up, I don't know if we've got the QR code that's up on the screen. If you are interested in being a leader for a table, like God is really stirring your heart for a table. God's really stirring your heart to start up uh, a table. You've got this common denominator, or maybe there's three or four of you they have been talking about starting up a group, and all of a sudden you're seeing, hey, we've got an opportunity to do this. Go ahead, use your phones to sign up here or at the desk in the lobby. The iPad is already set up for you to make the contact because what we're going to do is when you sign up, we're gonna invite you out, we're gonna feed you after Sunday morning service, and we're gonna to talk to you about how to lead. We wanna empower you and equip you to lead. We are gonna be the church that does more than just worship well. We're gonna let the worship of Jesus flow through our lives. And what's awesome is this, worship band, let's get ready to rock this place. What I love is for the first time that I know of at K-First, what we have set up for our church is an equipping app that will be empowered for every single table. The Assemblies of God, which is the denomination that we are a part of, they have something called the Bible Engagement Project. And so for everybody that's forming a table, you never have to worry about what curriculum to use. 
Maybe you've got a friend that's come to know Christ. You're like, Pastor Dave, what do I do with them? We've got your book, but we need some curriculum. Maybe you've got a group of men or a group of ladies or a group of couples and you want to do Bible studies. You want to do group studies. We have got a subscription with the Bible Engagement Project. It is through our denomination, so the doctrine is completely safe. It has its own app so that if you've got a table that's meeting together, you've got a group of men, a group of ladies, a group of people that are meeting and you're wanting stuff to discuss, you want safe doctrine, you want topical um, studies, you want books of the Bible, Bible says, this will be available for free to any group that is available, that wants it, that needs it. You've got a group, you've got a table at work. My dad used to have two Bible studies at work. He would have killed for something like this. We've got something to equip you in every situation. And this is what's beautiful. It's age appropriate. So if you have a group of kids, listen, if you've got some young families and you want something for your kids, Bible Project, we've got curriculum for kids. Curriculum for teenagers. Curriculum for adults. And we've got it and we're ready to launch it. Because God does... God wants us to love this way, but when we walk in community and love this way, you see the full flow of what He truly wants. Not to end on a, a sour note here, but this church that was known in Ephesus that Jesus challenged them on, He's like, listen, don't, if you don't love well, you're going to lose the lamp. You're going to lose the life. And the sad thing is, by the 11th century, the church was no longer in existence. Why? They lost the love. But if we will fall in love with Jesus, God's going to provide. He's going to provide us with people. He's going to provide us with opportunities. He's going to provide us with leadership. He's going to provide us with ways to continue to grow each other and grow the kingdom of God. And we're going to see this love begin to just flow here and flow here. And we're going to see God revive us in a way that we've never expected before. Why? Because we're going to be resilient. And so worship team is going to come. And they're going to lead a song that's it's still newer to our church. And the song uses a name for God. It's one of my na favorite names for God. And it's the word Jireh. Jireh means my God will provide. And as we go into just a moment of worship before we dismiss you today, and I apologize I've gone just a tad long today, would you just worship and just, would that be your prayer? God, for this new season of our church, would you provide? But we've got a lot of things that need to launch. We've got tables that need to launch. We've, we have staff that we're going to be hiring. We've got things that are going to be happening. But we need to see God's provision. And we're, today is not a day where we're going to plead. Today is the day we're going to prophesy that we have a God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's going to provide us the means. He's going to provide us the people. He's going to provide opportunities. He's going to open up doors that the enemy has said was shut. Why? Because if he doesn't just have a resilient church, we have a very resilient God. So Spirit of God, ignite our hearts today. Ignite our spirits. I pray that this, this spirit of resilience, oh Lord, begin to build up in our hearts to see you do things that we have only been in our dreams and in our visions. God, I pray over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about tables and community, I pray that you would just begin to put burdens upon people's hearts, God. You put anointing upon them, that they would chase away um, Lord, any type of fears or trepidation, God, over what and how and, and who and when, God, I pray that you would begin to draw us into community, that we would be a people that could gather and love you well and love each other well, and that when the world sees your love flowing through us, they're going to know there is a real God, and his name is Jesus. 
We're going to see this area revived with your presence. We speak this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you stand? Worship team, would you lead us today?